If you have a Bible and would like to follow along, we're going to be in the very last chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 31, and there are 13 verses. And 1 Samuel, in a lot of ways, is a book of contrast between two men, uh, of David and Saul. And Saul has been king. He was anointed and uh, enthroned as king over his people Israel. And we find what happens to him now at the very end, beginning in 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. So the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. Now the battle became intense against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it came to pass the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the, of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Thus ends the reading of the inspired and errant word of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that this is the word of God and that, Lord, you have spoken this word. Lord, will you speak it again now as we try to understand it and as we learn from this passage what we can learn. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be our teacher. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know it talks about uh, the vanity of life, the meaninglessness of life without God. At the end of that book, <clears throat> the author, Solomon, concludes in chapter 12, 13 to 14, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And as we come to this final chapter in 
the book of 1 Samuel, we see these words in Ecclesiastes proven true that King Saul, even though he knew better, uh, he did not fear God or keep his commandments. We learned that as we studied this book. Therefore, God brought judgment on Saul uh, here on Mount Gilboa where he and his sons were killed. So, so Saul, as I said, he didn't fear God. He didn't keep his commandments. He didn't seek the Lord. Instead, if we, as we looked in chapter 28, he consulted a medium uh, sometimes referred to as the witch of Endor. He sought the occult trying to find direction and guidance instead of turning to God. Uh, and, and so instead of repenting of his sin, uh, Saul hardened his heart and he only relied on his own wisdom and, uh, and he kept going in his rebellious way. Now, the book of Samuel, of course, is named after the prophet Samuel. And Samuel had done his best uh, to guide Saul while he was living. And even that one appearance after he had died, he came back from the dead to say one more thing. And he didn't say anything new. He was one more final rebuke of Saul. And, you know, it, it, it never seemed to take uh, with Saul. And the, and the Proverbs 29.1 is true of Saul. It says, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's exactly what happened in Saul's life. And so Saul stands as a warning to all of us who uh, grew up in church or who are uh, part of a church and we worship on a regular basis. We come to church. The, the scriptures have been taught to us. We, we're familiar with these things. And yet if we reject the truth, if we harden our hearts against it and don't pay attention to it, we too will be destroyed and without remedy. Uh, if we don't surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ, turning from our sins and receiving him as our Lord and Savior, there is no remedy for our souls. And, and uh, like Ecclesiastes, uh, the last chapter of 1 Samuel uh, portrays, uh, it portrays a very negative outcome as a warning so that we, instead of hardening our hearts, would soften our hearts. Before the Lord. And so I pray that you and I would have tender hearts before God, uh, especially as we hear uh, the message today. But um, Saul's death was God's judgment, yes, for his sin. Um, but a lot of other casualties uh, resulted. Uh, so many were slain that day, including his three sons, uh, Jonathan. And, and as we learned uh, in this book, Jonathan was a righteous son. He was an encouragement to David. He helped protect David's life when his father Saul was trying to take uh, David's life. He was an honorable son. And he, he did his best, too, to serve his father, the king, even though his father uh, was not an honorable person. He still uh, did right by him. And he served God valiantly in battle. And so Jonathan is a sad casualty of Saul's sin, uh, and, and yet he shows that we can honor God even in the midst of a bad situation. But we see that you know, our sin, Saul's sin and our sin, 
we might think that it has no impact on other people sometimes. Maybe I have a private sin or something that maybe not many people know about, and yet uh, sin always affects people around us. But chapter 31, as we go through this text, begins by telling us that the Philistines fought against Israel. This is nothing new because at the, uh, before Saul became king, that the Philistines were a problem. They were always raiding and always fighting. And uh, so at the beginning of Saul's reign, they fought the Philistines. In the middle of his reign, they fought the Philistines. And now at the end again, we see them fighting. But Saul's divine commission, according to 1 Samuel chapter 9, was for this purpose, to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That was why he had been called and commissioned and enthroned as king. And yet Saul ends up dying at their hand because Saul failed. He failed at carrying out that commission uh, and seeking God in, in, in the carrying of it out. But God's judgment came that day to Saul and to Israel, of course. First Chronicles 10, 13, and 14, we find this commentary on why Saul died. It says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him, that is God killed him, and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Now we have to go to 2 Samuel to see uh, uh, when David takes the throne, but that's coming. And so in this battle, uh, Saul is fighting. Uh, we commend him as, as, one, as a king who went out with his men to fight, and yet one of the arrows finds him, and, and he is mortally wounded. He's probably going to die. And uh, he asked his armor bearer to, to run him through so that the Philistines can't have sport with him and, uh, and take him. But the armor bearer refused to do so. Remember how many times David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, even as Saul was pursuing his, but he refused to do it. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. It would be wrong for me to do that. And the armor bearer probably realized the same thing and just wouldn't go through with it. <clears throat> And so Saul went ahead and fell on his own sword, committing suicide. And so he finished his life in a very sad way, in a final act of rebellion, taking his own life. And we see nothing, uh, 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 we hear nothing in this passage of Saul calling on the name of the Lord. Right? We might think, oh, well, I'll wait to, to call on Jesus to save me when I get to the end of my life. But I want to live my life, do my own thing until the very end. That's not a wise thing because Saul, I think, was hardened. He was given over to his sin, was not even able probably to call on the Lord. He was so far gone. So don't wait until later to turn over your life to Jesus. And so... Saul relied on his own wisdom and understanding instead of entrusting himself to the Lord. He thought the best thing to do would be to commit suicide. There's a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end thereof is death. And that's where Saul ends up. You know, the devil has convinced many to take their own life. You know, suicide rates have, have skyrocketed in the last two years. 
Uh, we can blame part of that on, on the isolation uh, uh, resulting from COVID measures and so on, but uh, it's, 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 it's a fact that people are despairing uh, about life. They see no way out of their difficulties and their problems. And some of you, uh, very likely in this room, have considered that yourself in a moment of weakness. And we can give thanks to God that he kept you, kept us from such thoughts. And so uh, the sixth commandment says you shall not murder. That includes self-murder. So suicide is never an option. It's never a way out for the believer. Uh, and, and so we see Saul the night before, the very night before, had consulted the devil, as it were. Uh, and, and here, it's no surprise that he gives in to the temptation of the evil one in the taking of his own life. Uh, as one author put it, that Saul died as he had lived in hardened self-will and without faith in God's salvation. Well, in verse 5, uh, we see the armor bearer. Uh, seeing what Saul did, and he decides to follow his example. Again, we see sin does influence people around us. And so the armor bearer commits suicide, so Saul's sin leads to another sin. Verse 6 says, So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that day. Now what, if we could rewind, you know, and give Saul a second chance, what would you advise him to do? In that situation, you're wounded by the arrow. First of all, of course, you would advise him to call upon the Lord. Uh, you know, the Bible says, call upon the Lord and you will be saved. And that, that includes, of course, ultimate salvation, but it includes temporal salvation as well. But in a, and another thing I think I would, would have said to Saul, to quote from the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.21, Peter said, to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Of course, Saul didn't want to suffer. That's why he took his own life. He didn't want to suffer at the hands of the Philistines. And on the one hand, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. And yet, suicide is never a right or a good way out of our suffering. So what's God's message to those who are suffering, who are in pain uh, of one type or another? Well, that message is this. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And then the Bible tells us this, that as a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. And so put your trust in your heavenly father when you're going through hard times. Put your trust in, in the Lord when you feel that life is harder and more difficult than you can handle because the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. The Lord's grace will sustain you. And so then you will be an example of Jesus who endured suffering for us as an example that we should follow in his steps. And others would see that. They would see Jesus in us, and instead of being a neg negative example to people, then we can be a positive one. But ultimately, we look to Christ, and He will bring us through whatever it is that we're going through. Uh, when the Philistines saw that Saul and his sons were dead, and the men of Israel had fled, that, then they came and took over their towns. 
and their cities. And the next day they find, they find Saul and his three sons. And so uh, they took this occasion to, to dishonor uh, their bodies. Uh, they, they took off Saul's head, uh, put his armor in the temple of their gods, fastened his, their bodies to a wall for display. And you see, uh, there's, there's a byproduct here of this tragic defeat. Not only was Israel defeated, not only was Saul judged, not only were there other casualties, sadly, but the name of the Lord was publicly disgraced. Now, earlier in the book, we saw where uh, the ark had been captured and God's ark was put in the temple of Dagon and the god Dagon fell over a couple of times and the last time broke into pieces, showing the superiority of Yahweh, Israel's God. And yet, here, it would seem, at least outwardly, that that, that Dagon, the Philistines' God, had triumphed. Now, we know that's not the case. We know that's not true. That's not what happened. But the reputation of God, you see, was besmirched because of Saul's rebellion. And um, they were able, the Philistines were able to glory in their apparent, and of course it would be temporary, uh, success. And they would think uh, the success of their idols. They would think their gods were superior. Um, so, but what are we to say to that? Well, Israel and Israel's king may have been defeated that day. Um, and yes, that does have some reflection on their God, on Yahweh. But not like we would think. You see, because Yahweh, God was bringing about his purposes. The word of the Lord was actually being fulfilled in the defeat of Israel. He was merely preparing the way for David, who had already been anointed, uh, but had not taken the throne yet, preparing the way for his rule of righteousness over his people. Uh, Ralph Davis comments that Israel may fall on Gilboa, Saul may fall on his sword, but the word of Yahweh will not fall. It will surely come to pass. And so God makes all things work together, yes, for our good, but ultimately for his holy purpose and his divine glory. So uh, the Philistines were gloating, of course, over their victory. They were celebrating. Uh, and, and, and yet God's purposes were unfolding. His word was coming to pass. Uh, God had said he would judge Saul. And he also judged Israel for, for sinning as well, for their idolatry. Uh, but he was going to judge the Philistines too, and that judgment would, would come soon, and, and it would come to them. In fact, the judgment of God comes to all, eventually, especially those who worship other gods and do not follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, so God is going to overrule this tragedy for good. Uh, and all you have to do is read the next book, and you see that, But Second Samuel. Uh, but, uh, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, as we think about, you know, where we are today in our culture, seems that we're fighting kind of a losing battle. Uh, but that's only the appearance of things, you see. Jesus Christ actually does have all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And he says, I will build my church. 
the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And even though Israel suffered a great defeat that day and it seemed that the gates of hell were prevailing against them, uh, that was actually not the case. It was only uh, a, a time for God to turn things around as he would do. So this is a very dark chapter, if you will. It's, it doesn't seem to have much encouragement. There's a little bit of uh, bright, brightness here at the end of it. Uh, in verse 12, the, we find the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead being an example of courage, gratitude, and loyalty. When they heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, verse 12 says, All the valiant men, they, they rose and they traveled all night, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they took their bones and buried them, uh, and then fasted seven days. So uh, these were brave men, and they risked their lives uh, because they didn't want their, the bodies to be desecrated of their beloved king and his sons. Now, why did they care so much about Saul? I mean, Saul wasn't the best king. Oh, really? Uh, he spent most of his time pursuing David, a righteous man who had helped him in battle uh, and trying to kill him instead of fighting the Philistines and the other enemies of God. But the men of Jabesh-Gilead never forgot what early on Saul did. And probably what Saul did in chapter 11 was probably the high point of his, of his reign as king. Uh, it says there that there was a man named Nahash. He was an Ammonite, and he came against Jabesh-Gilead. And, of course, the people there were greatly outnumbered. There was nothing they could do, and they said, we'll make a covenant with you. Let's just work this out. And, and Nahash said, okay, uh, I'm going to take out all the right eyes of all the men, and then we'll, we'll, be, we'll have peace with you. And, of course, that put them into a, a great quandary. They were grieving over this. And Saul heard about it, and he became furious. And actually, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he gathered enough men to go and fight the Ammonites and delivered them from Nahash and his men. And so the people never forgot what Saul had done for them, and so that created a sense of loyalty. Uh, and so they bravely went in the middle of the night and took these bodies off the wall, out right under the noses of the Philistines in order to give the bodies a burial. And then they fasted seven days in honor and in mourning for Saul. You know, how much more do we owe our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? How much more do we owe a debt of gratitude and of love? I think back to when Jesus was arrested and then he was crucified and then he was buried and then he rose again but go back to the uh, when when Jesus was crucified and he died Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus showed their gratitude by asking for the body of Jesus to give him a proper burial and then on the first day of the week he had been in the tomb a couple of days uh, Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him you see, they loved the Lord. They honored Him even though He had died. And, uh, but we know, of course, that He rose again. And so now, you and I relate to Him as the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so our salvation has been completed. And if these things are so, then what is our response to be? How much more 
brave and courageous and loyal ought we to be to our king who has been raised from the dead, who saved us from our sins, how much more ought we to live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude unto the Lord? Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do ought to be done in the name of the Lord. In the honor of my Lord Jesus who died for me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice because He died for me and rose again. Well, as we close out this study, I just want to mention a few things. that it, you know, Negative examples are mentioned in the Bible. Paul says... In the book of Romans, uh, that these things are given to us for an example, uh, so that we would avoid the sins, avoid the mistakes that uh, they made in the Old Testament. And so I would just mention quickly five ways that you and I need to take heed as we reflect on the life of Saul and the end, uh, what happened at the end of his life. The first thing is to take heed that we do not bring a worldly attitude into the church. And you see, the Israelites, the whole reason Saul became king is that they wanted a king like the nations. They wanted to be like the nations. They wanted to be like the world. Give us a king like the the nations have. And so God did. He let them have their way, but it didn't end well. So we need to, to realize when we bring the world's ideas, the world's ways into the church, into the house of God, that the church is going to suffer. It will not be good for us to do that. We need to look to the Word of God uh, to guide our worship and to guide our ministry. Secondly, let us take heed that we do not allow unbelief to progress in our hearts as it did with Saul. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you. He's speaking to the church. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So watch out for unbelief. How do we build up our faith? We stay in the Word. We stay in worship. We, we don't neglect the meeting of our, you know, the assembling of ourselves together. We don't neglect prayer. We don't neglect uh, to fellowship with one another and so on. Thirdly, let's take heed against pride in our hearts and that we maintain a posture of humility, an attitude of humility before God. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 mentions some of the judgments of God on his own people. Again, as as I mentioned earlier, and he says, All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, he concludes, he says, Therefore, and and Saul's life could be included in, in, in that, all these examples. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. If you think, well, I wouldn't fall like Saul did. I wouldn't do what he did. Yes, you would. You would do worse if you were left to yourself. You and I would do worse. I would do far worse than Saul. If, 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 if I did not take heed and, and keep my eyes on Jesus Christ, Saul fell in part because of his pride, and if he could fall, then so could you if you don't take heed to yourself. 
Fourthly, let's take heed that we don't fall away from the grace of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's not about, okay, let's try harder, let's do better. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's about remembering the grace of the gospel in Jesus. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Take heed that no man fall away from the grace of God. Let no root of bitterness spring up and trouble you. You see, to fall away from grace is, is, to, is to basically reject, first of all, it would be to reject God's way of salvation, which is the way of grace. The way of grace is, is the way of a gift. God says, I have given you eternal life. This life is in Jesus. So when we receive Jesus, we receive salvation as a gift. So to, first of all, yeah, to fall away from the grace of the gospel is to reject that and to try to save myself. Well, that doesn't work. Uh, but secondly, as Christians... Uh, to reject grace is to think, well, okay, I'm saved, but now you know I'm doing pretty good. I can do this myself. Um, Galatians warns about uh, going, turning back away from the grace of God, and 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 not walking in the Spirit. So read Galatians chapter five. Uh, we contrast the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and it says, uh, walk therefore. Walk then in the spirit, and you won't satisfy the, the, the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Walk by his grace. Walk by his enabling. That's the only way you and I. So don't fall away from the grace that's found in the gospel and, found, and it comes to us through uh, the Holy Spirit's work. And then last, fifthly, we take heed that you are ready for the final judgment for the return of Jesus Christ, who said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Saul did not know. He probably thought, I'll live another day. I'll live to fight another day. But he didn't. Uh, judgment came to Mount Gilboa that day for Saul and, and his men. And the final judgment, you see, is coming when Jesus returns. He says he will gather the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and he will cast the goats into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. But the sheep will come into his eternal kingdom. Now, we don't know when he is coming, but we need to take heed that we are ready, that we are prepared to meet the Lord. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I hope that you know him, or if you, that if you don't, that you'll come to know Jesus before he comes back. Now, again, we don't know when that will be. And so the smart thing to do, the wise thing to do, is to turn to Jesus now. To turn back to Jesus now. And to keep turning to Jesus every day. Because every day, you and I are tempted to wander. We're tempted to walk away and, and do our own thing. And every time we see that and we sense that we're doing that, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to believe in you. Help me to be ready. Help me to walk in your ways. Help me not to end up like Saul, but to follow you, Lord Jesus. Being willing to suffer, yes. And to do whatever it is, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving for what he has done 
for us. And he will enable you to do uh, even the very hard things in life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Wish Saul would have done that, but he didn't. Uh, David did that, but he didn't do it perfectly either. Um, But God's giving us this message today, and I pray that we'll take it to heart. Let's pray.